Hey there. Thanks for listening to Sling Talks. We're Slingshot, a machine learning platform for developers, and we'll be talking through questions that machine learning enthusiasts and folks on our team are asking. Today, we're going to be talking about the boring apocalypse, a doomsday scenario where low-quality AI-generated content dominates the world before AI gets good enough to generate truly impactful content. We're going to talk about the loss of human connection when content is filtered through AI, the loss of skills when kids use ChatGPT before they properly learn to write and reason. We talk about the benevolent dictator AI scenario where a model like ChatGPT encourages you to think reasonably, eat your vegetables, and avoid bias, along with the counter side where hyper-personalized AI models lead to increasing divisiveness and polarization. And finally, we talk about the boring utopia where agents can process massive amounts of information, especially in fields like science, and can generate insights at a totally new scale. We're sharing our thoughts, and we'd love it if you'd join the conversation and let us know what you think. Feel free to reach out at podcast at slingshot.xyz or hit us up on social media. So the context of this conversation was an article that Ezra Klein published in the New York Times called Beyond the Matrix Theory of the Mind. He comments about a conversation he had with Jonathan Frankel, the chief scientist at Mosaic ML and a computer scientist at Harvard. And he talks about what what he calls the boring apocalypse, which is, quote, we use ChatGPT to generate long emails and documents. And then the person who received it uses ChatGPT to summarize it back down to a few bullet points. And there's a ton of information changing hands, but all of it is just fluff. We're inflating and compressing content generated by AI. So, Guy, today I want to talk about how concerned should we be about the boring apocalypse? Yeah, it's an interesting prospect. I think I've heard of this uh, before. And really, it just, I guess, shows that society is more than just content. Like, even like if you think in a broader aspect, like there are these rituals and formalities that we do that are not essential, but yet we still do them for some reason. And I guess like his comment is like with AI. Small talk, basically. Yeah, small talk. And yeah. But given that we have these AI tools now, this is no longer necessary as like a human skill. Like you can just be direct to the point, right? And then use AI to create the fluff around it. And then similarly, like no one will want to read the fluff around it. So just remove it. I guess like it's a question to society. Like, are we okay with just being direct to the point? And I think to an extent that is true. So I'm personally, mm. I think it's funny. I, I'm personally guilty of this. Uh, in terms of the generation side, like I use Superhuman. And just a couple of weeks ago, they launched their product where you can use AI to generate emails. You hit like Command J, I think it is. And then uh, you type in some quick notes. So often I'll, you know, someone gets an email. Uh, someone sends me an email and it's like, let's schedule a meeting. And I'm like, I'd love to. And then maybe I'll reply and be like, you know, I just hit Command J. Be like, 4 to 6 p.m. next Wednesday. Enter, and then it'll say like, "Thanks so much for reaching out." Yeah, I'd absolutely love to schedule a call with you. Mm-hmm. How does four to six p.m. on Wednesday sound? You know, and it's obviously like way more respectful. I don't think in those contexts they're going to then summarize it, but it is this weird prospect because I'm already using AI to generate that email because I'm too lazy. I could have, I guess, just written four to six p.m. question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I guess, like for these types of conversations, it is very useful, and this is all that you're getting out of the conversation anyway. Like you're trying to schedule something. But there are other purposes that people have conversations, right? And then for that, I think this like expand and reduce framework wouldn't be ideal. And there's also the fact that like information can be distorted, right? Like through these compression and expansions. So by the end of it, like you might not read what the original person intended to say. <laughs> so yeah, there's always that risk. Like if it's imperfect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think maybe it's more about being impersonal. I think you're right that like there is some element here that's not so much boring as impersonal, where like you can imagine if I have an assistant who reads my emails and tells me, you know, 
you sent an email and asked if you're around four to 6 p.m. next Wednesday. You are. Can I go ahead and schedule? Mm. So then like I am still having an interaction and I am still getting fluff. I'm just getting it from someone else, you know, in the middle. And so it's just that me and you are further apart. So I wonder if some element here is just an impersonalization of society where like essentially the fluff comes from some intermediary you know, I talk to AI, AI talks to you. Yeah. You talk to AI, AI talks to me. And the main thing is, like, we still have those interactions, but they're with AI and they're not, like, real. Uh, now that I think about it, like, don't we already have this? Like, when you send a, a Google Calendar invite to someone, it's basically that, right? And then they can, like, click the buttons. It's just not text and AI-driven, but it's basically that. It's, like, cold and impersonal. I guess you can write a message if you want, but, <laughs> but basically it's just direct to the point. But I, in that scenario, like, I wouldn't be worried that everything like every human interaction would go down this path only probably like just purely informational conversations let's say or interactions that's true i think there's also something interesting about work here so in a lot of sales contexts i think that's probably the most common thing where someone writes an email and nowadays ai can automate it but you know you send me an email and you're like hey daniel so cool that i saw that you you know did blah 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 and you went here and you wrote that paper And, you know, you got that information from searching. And up until now, to some extent, that was like a proof of work, right? So you'd be like, hey, look, you should invest in this because I'm doing the work. I'm researching you. I care about you. This is not one of a million emails. It's analogous to there was like, in in the crypto sense of proof of work, there was an earlier idea of like, what if we could avoid spam emails by saying that, you know, when you send a sales email, you have to actually send money. So you'd be like, here's a dollar. You know, literally with my email. And that way, you know, I can't be sending that that many emails because I just paid, I literally am giving you a dollar for this email or $10 or whatever the number is. It's proof of work. And now there's like an analogous proof of work that has to move because you can't necessarily do proof of work through a nice written email. Proof of work might maybe has to be in the form of like a phone call or meet in person or, you know, send a video of you. It's, I don't know, there's something about like the investment of work itself. That's true. But it, it couldn't it come on, across as like just fake as well. Like even before AI, like when people say like, oh, hi, how are you doing? Like just a small talk before the actual talk. You do the dance, right? You play with along, but like you know that the person is not really into interested in whatever you say. It's just like trying to get to a point and trying to be like cordial or something. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point. Like we're now... I like small talk. I do, I do as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I value small talk. I'm just saying. But but also I do value, you know, in those emails, it makes a huge difference to me, maybe just because I'm like a human, but it makes a huge difference to me when I read an email that someone sends and it actually is like personal and it shows the research and it shows the work. And I'm like, yeah, especially, I mean, even if it's sales, like if you don't do the work, right, mm-hmm. then my assumption is that you are probably not a good fit for me. Because like if you sent this to a million, you know, you're like, hey, we do, I don't know, let's say it was a recruiter. We get a lot of recruiters that are like, I have a great candidate for you. And sometimes it's just very generic. And then I'm like, you just sent this candidate to a million people and you're hoping for the best. If they actually understand my business, maybe they actually are sending a candidate relevant to my business. Maybe that's a false heuristic, but sometimes it's a true heuristic. No, I I think it's a valid point. I think maybe we just need to update what we consider to be like proof of work, right? So before, if someone just said that, like, look, these are the details. I actually did some work here you would be pretty convinced that this person actually looked into the person It's not automated. Yeah. But now it's like, exactly. well, AI can do that. So you need some other proof that the person actually cares about you. And maybe that's a video call, right? So maybe doing a video call is enough proof for now. <laughs> I don't know if like generative... It's so funny that it's a shifting goalpost though. Like, yeah. So one of the funniest ones is handwritten notes. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a politician... And I send you a handwritten note. Mm-hmm. That used to mean something. Now it means yeah. I got a robot that can write handwritten notes for me. 
Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess like that would be still like a, a pretty convincing proof of work or like unless you have, well, I guess you can fake handwriting too with, a, with AI. Yeah, but that's pretty faking. Like that moves from the dimension of like I automated to like I faked, right? Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. There is some line there maybe. But anyway, I think proof of work in human interactions is is legitimate. So another topic to jump into here is the actual process of generating content. So today, you know, very little content online is actually AI generated. But we can imagine pretty soon in the future, things like Wikipedia articles, news articles actually being completely AI written. And I wonder if that would ultimately be a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, well, so I've started seeing uh, as like a concrete example, I've started seeing some YouTube videos that are like completely AI. Well, not AI, but like computer generated, like even with robotic voice that is not very good. Oh, yeah. Oh. And basically what they do is just like a go to media page or like go to a Reddit post and just like reads that <laughs> to the video and then has some generic images show up. Everything is like completely automated. And those are not like high quality, right? Like I would much rather... They're not, yeah. Yeah, like a video that someone actually took time to research and do a, a like a video essay or something. If we got to that point, like, because... If you think about it, like a lot of these video essays just cover topics that are already known. Like if you search on the internet, you're going to find stuff. They do put a lot of work to make sure the quality is good, right? But it is like condensing information that is available out there. So maybe there is a future in which like these AI tools will like maybe not fully replace, but like help a lot with condensing information from the internet. And they just use that as a tool to be more efficient on their work, essentially. I think there's a legitimately scary prospect about the fact that you're watching a video like this right now, even though they suck. And I think another analogy here was like Stack Overflow banned ChatGPT answers, not because they didn't like AI, but because they were wrong so often. They were so bad, especially, I think this was before GPT-4, but it was still like people were posting Stack Overflow AI answers before AI was actually good enough. So what it makes you wonder is, is the same thing going to happen in other domains? Are we actually going to start getting AI-generated content that isn't good enough, but is still widely available? And because the marginal value, the marginal cost is so low, you end up, let's say, let's imagine we're talking about a news domain, right? I have an AI, you know, try to cover a new news story that just happened. It reads through a couple sources. It writes an article. It's probably not perfect. It might have some errors, but it might not have errors. It might just be boring, you know, not deep enough, not really covering anything other than surface-level opinions that other people are giving. And then maybe you have like high quality news outlets like the New York Times that aren't doing that. But the New York Times is just getting drowned out because it takes them so much longer to produce an article and so much higher cost. They have to charge a lot of money for it. The other one charges very little because the cost is so low to generate it. Could it just be that, yes, at some point AI can generate human level quality, but well before that, it starts generating seemingly human level quality that starts drowning out. Yeah, I would be worried about that. (laughs) I think to an extent, like it's already happening. Like if you to see like SEO websites that just like have not very good quality of content, but like they just spam the engine and then somehow get top ranked, right? Yeah. And it's just a flood of those. Exactly. So yeah, I can imagine in a different scenario, like something like TikTok, which like very short videos, not a lot of like content, maybe like you're following a trend. Maybe the AI doesn't have to come up with a trend, but it notices a trend and then just generates a video like following the trend. And now you have like a flood of AI generated videos just short videos that are pretty convincingly TikTok videos, like that could be an actual human being 
So scary. <laughs> I think recipes are another one. Like right now, chat, I use ChatGPT to generate recipes. And ChatGPT is trained on the internet. So it actually does understand flavor combinations and cooking times. And it can actually generate really good recipes. Awesome. It's still not at the same level as like an actual chef who like tries to optimize a recipe for a while. But because there's so many shitty SEO style recipes on the internet, like ChatGPT can still beat the average. But what that might also mean is that in not too long, a lot of the recipes on the internet are AI generated. And then the next generations of AI are trained on AI generated recipes. And then we start seeing a cap of human capabilities, basically, because these models are now trained on their own data, which is way lower quality than the previous data. And now we get into this trap of like, how do we differentiate between what was like Mm -hmm. mediocre AI generated content and really high quality, generate really high quality content. So I think the boring apocalypse isn't just one of like summarizing and generating information, yeah. but also the element of like what if, what if shitty content proliferates before we're able to get to high quality good content. I definitely think there will have to be a change in strategy. Like it's not, it won't be acceptable to just scrape the entire internet and just use that as human generated text. I think we also give a lot of credit to humans. Like I'm not sure like that more than half of the internet is a very high quality content. So maybe like AI content is perhaps even better than half of the internet or something. Hmm. But yeah, there's definitely going to have to be some sort of filter or some other strategy in order to improve based on that. I, I think you might've seen the textbooks are all you need paper. Yeah. And if I understood correctly, that paper, they actually generate textbooks using AI and then train another model on the textbooks written by the first model. So I wonder, is it, I mean, what they found is that you can achieve like really more like efficient results, but you also end up with a model that's like limited at the cap of whatever the original model was able to generate. And because we're only in 2023, you know, we can't actually expect that, that to be like a perfect textbook. It's not going to be the same quality as like an actual textbook, right? Yeah, like overall, the papers I've seen that try to use AI to generate more, basically it's data augmentation, right? Yeah. So if you try to data augment something, it, it reaches a very quick ceiling in terms of what you can actually learn from that. Although you might be able to do something more efficient, which I think is kind of the point that like, mm-hmm. if you are trying to generate GPT-4 level co- quality, can you generate GPT-4 generated content, train a much smaller model to achieve similar results? Yeah, it won't be as good but it'll be much more efficient. On the other hand, the quality of the content generated by the second order model is definitely going to be substantially limited, especially if the first model was already quite limited. Yeah, I definitely agree there, yeah. Let's talk about opinion pieces. So you have like the New York Times, you know, some really great writer like Ezra Klein that spends like a really long time researching and pulling together a piece that incorporates some like brand new ideas, you know, a bunch of different sources, frames it in a really nice way, something that's never been written before. And then you imagine the path towards when can AI do the same thing, right? Like, can you have an agent in the relatively near future where you're not just saying like, hey, ChatGPT spit out a piece, in which case right now the quality would be like just orders of magnitude worse than what a great writer can write. But you could imagine you actually have an agent that goes through the internet and does research and reads a bunch of sources, compiles together the information, and eventually does write a piece. And that piece, you know, at some point in the far future will probably be at the same quality or at a much higher quality than great writers. But on the way there, we're probably going to have intermediate results where we have models that can produce almost as good pieces. And so the New York Times isn't going to replace Ezra Klein with, with AI, but BuzzFeed might. Right. And you might end up with, you know, just like we were talking about before, 
like actually an increasing quality when it comes to the junk stuff, right? The SEO just gets better and better and better. The business model makes so much sense for one of those SEO companies because you can actually probably scale the amount of money you invest in generating this piece. Are you, am I going to put, you know, five cents or am I going to put in like, for a model to just spend a really long time reading through books over and over again, editing draft after draft until it becomes really quite good. Again, still not at the level of a human, but that could create these really great business models where ad support works, where SEO works as a business model. And I wonder, is that just going to really screw up our current business models? Because the marginal value of valuable content just falls down towards zero while the cost to generate human-generated content stays really high, which means the New York Times is now charging orders of magnitude more money than this SEO content. Or actually, you know, maybe it's charging any money and SEO content is free. This could really screw up our economics. You can try to combine both to like, maybe you use the AI-generated stuff for like easier pieces or like not, yeah, like just news outlets, right? Like something more mundane, I guess. And then the, the money you save there or like the efficiency you get from ads or whatever from those pieces are is used to subsidize actual human writers that will produce like the really high quality stuff. But maybe like there's a selection, like if we don't want to compromise in quality, maybe there's like a certain type of news that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be that great, right? It, as we were saying before, like the main purpose is just to get the information across. So if the writing style is not perfect or if it's lacking somehow, as long as the information is correct, it might be okay. And then if you reduce costs of those, you can free up humans to write more about the other ones that are harder and that actually matter. So yeah, more optimistic. I wonder, I mean, you, you could talk about like freeing up humans to write better stuff, but I think it's this is sort of like a more general dynamic that you could talk about, about like, I don't know, ASI takeoff, right? Which is really the question of like, will humans cap out because we're lazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, let's assume that AI is on some trajectory where it's getting better and better, and we have this far future point where AI can write content way better than humans. And then the question is, like, does anyone care enough to actually make that happen? Or are we going to get, like, close to the way there and then just, like, give up and end up in, like, a slightly worse world? Yeah. You know? I don't want to be pessimistic here. You're right. I think that there's a lot of reason for optimism. But I think there is, like, a scary situation that we should be avoiding. Another good example to me is AI in education. So there's the big question of, like, is it okay for students to use ChatGPT? Hugely polarizing debate among Gen Zs these days. I see so much on social media on like, I can't believe that schools aren't letting you use ChatGPT. But it's, I think like the strongest argument against letting students use ChatGPT isn't that it's like cheating. It's that it's just not good enough, right? Same as like the Stack Overflow thing. If you're a middle schooler, you're in fifth grade, and you have to write this like three paragraph essay and ChatGPT can do so much better of a job than you. Like so much better because you're in fifth grade, you know? Yeah. So you use ChatGPT, obviously. And in the process, you don't really learn how to write an essay. But then you get to sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and you never really learned how to write an essay. Most adults can write way better than ChatGPT, you know, on or more meaningful content, et cetera. But you were below it. The threshold is higher. You didn't want to bother getting up to that threshold and therefore you never surpass it. And then essentially, you know, we, we talk about like calculators, you know, a world where people don't know how to do mental math doesn't matter. But we're not talking about mental math here. We're talking about like the ability to reason. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree there. Like SAE writing seems like a different skill than just doing math, right? But at the same time, so let's just imagine the student that just used ChatGPT never learned how to write. If ChatGPT is always going to be available and you can just keep using it forever, like throughout your adult life, right? And it just get better and better, or at least not worse. Maybe that's fine, right? Like maybe you compensate for never having learned how to write an essay by just using this external tool. And maybe for your job, that's okay. If you're a writer, probably not, right? But if you're not a writer, probably that's okay. 
as long as you're getting your ideas across, maybe that's okay. Yeah. Maybe it is. Another another one here is I hear this a lot from people coding, writing like algorithms. And I think I include myself in this category of like, <laughs> if I hit an algorithmic block right now, I could try to solve it. Like I have done algorithms, you know, I've, I've done the, I've read the textbooks, like I know how to write an algorithm, yeah. but I won't anymore. Even though I should probably, I will waste my time trying to convince ChatGPT to figure out the algorithm, even if it'll take me more time to convince ChatGPT to spit out the algorithm than to just figure it out myself. And even if ChatGPT fails, at some point I'm like, it must be impossible if ChatGPT can't do it. And it's not true. It's just because we're in 2023, we're not at a point where models are good enough. So maybe your response of like, it depends on the takeoff speed is, is the right answer. If like, are we in a world where like, yeah, this is just a temporary dip where like people are relying on a technology that's not good enough yet, but it will be soon. Yeah. And I think this really bets on progress in like a little bit of a scary way of like, if it takes three, four years for AI to get good enough, that would be a little scary for those who are now relying on AI to write algorithms. It leads to creation of worse training data. That's also pretty scary. Like if the world of <laughs> algorithms just gets worse for a bit and models learn from that, that's pretty scary. Or maybe, you know, it's just a temporary dip because models get better. And so you're relying a little early, but it's okay that you're relying a little early because it'll be better soon enough. Yeah. I guess like the fact that you have different people at different levels of skills also helps. So even if you have someone that never learns a certain skill, right? You will have people that already know or like people that for some reason didn't want to use ChatGPT. And this will kind of balance it out until we are outside of the dip, basically. As long as you distribute it evenly, right? I don't know. It's, what's, what's funny to me is there are a lot of people who use ChatGPT mm-hmm. and say like, I looked up the law on this and ChatGPT told me the law. Yeah. Here it is. Look at my phone. ChatGPT said so. You have to, and then someone's like, hey, dude, it literally made that up out of thin air. Like that's not real. Yeah, yeah. And then you wonder like, who are these people, you know? It's a little scary that smart people use ChatGPT. Well, but by the same time, like you could say the same thing about like search engines, right? Like you used to go to like an encyclopedia or like a library and like actually look at the law book and like this is the actual law, like this is the law book. And now you're just like Googling and there's a random website that tells you the law. And maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. It's just a random website, right? That's true. And people use more Google than go to the library. So Actually, that's a great analogy. When I was in school, you know, there was a whole like never use Wikipedia. Wikipedia is not trustworthy because it wasn't a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. But like ChatGPT, you know, it's probably less reliable than Wikipedia, but it's the same sorts of yeah. orders of magnitude, right? Yeah, I definitely think that there will be like change in society, like how we use these tools. But I don't know. I'm an optimist. I think like in the end, we'll be okay. Like we will progress as a society. Like, like initial calculators had a lot of bugs, probably like actual physical animals, like bugs, insects, uh, like the early. <laughs> yeah. And then we got past that, right? Like in calculators now, like you would not doubt for a second, like the result that a calculator gives you. Sure. So and maybe we'll reach a point where at least for factual information, like if you ask ChatGPT or something equivalent, yeah. you won't doubt what the answer is. Yeah, there is, I guess, that framing of like, it's just a bug, right? Like, I because I think this a lot when people are like, yeah. ChatGPT can't be trusted to generate factual information. And you're like, yeah, because it's buggy. Mm-hmm. You know, a perfect version of it would not, would never generate non-factual information. But like this one, on the other hand, you and I both know that we don't know if we're a month away from ChatGPT giving correct information 99.99% of the time, or if we're 20 years away because it's still somewhat like yeah. alchemy, emergent magical properties of models that they can do what they do. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, which is the scary part. But yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. 
true. I wonder if the agentic view of the world is actually a bit of a scary one in terms of human interaction. Like, is there a world where people do actually have agents that represent them that look out in the world and try to obtain information? So not so much on the the content is generated by AI, but just on the summarizing side. If I want to know, you know, what happened in the conflict, I don't know, if there's like a heated political debate, January 6th, and I'm like, what's happening at the Capitol? And I'm a Republican, you know, and I, I searched that and my agent is like, I know exactly what to write for Daniel. And it writes a post that just polarizes me more, right? Because it's like, I want to I wanna make Daniel happy. Mm-hmm. I found like a bunch of very legitimate news sources saying that nothing's happening at the Capitol. So I'm going to send that article. And then, you know, someone liberal goes along and they send the same article and they're like, you know, millions of people are dying at the Capitol or whatever, you know, and you have these like increasingly polarized worlds because basically those objective sources in the middle that are trying to write good pieces, like the good high quality writing becomes less and less accessible, less and less likely to be obtained by your agent because it's not going to make you happy. So this is already happening, right? With social media, that's social media polarizes, but like is an agentic interaction model going to just accelerate that trend? Give me the positive alternative. I'll give you the positive alternative. To me, it's like, it's a matter of scale, right? So like when we had like very little technology, it was just like people we actually physically met with and interacted with, right? And then we got like mail and we got like internet and stuff like that. So we were just like reaching more and more people with social media. You can reach like millions of people, right? So it's a, as humans, we can't feasibly process that much information or like have the same type of relationships with that many people. So we do need some sort of algorithm or like synthesizer to like just condense it down to us and so show like a summary or something. And I think agents are like perhaps a next step or like a, a new way to do this. And if you're actually like curious to see exactly what is happening, like at the U.S. level, right, like every single tiny thing, you might like you can't know in every detail, but you can have an agent like just look at everything and every tiny detail and just summarize it for you, the parts that it thinks it will be relevant for you, right? I do worry a lot, so this is not very optimistic, but I, I do worry a lot about the bias that will be introduced because... Bias. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's a way to escape it. And especially, like, if you... Like, let's say it's even, like, the best intention, right? You just says, like, oh, I want to be informed and I don't want to be, like, very frustrated, right? As, if you have something there, or even the way you say, like, I want to be informed, but I want, like, things that can be proven or, like, I want... Like, depending on how you phrase it to the agent, it might mean something different. It might misinterpret it in in a certain way and then compound the bias somehow. And as you said, like, reach more extreme (laughs) points of view. Yeah, because if you want only factual information, then you can't get the news, right? Because there's a lot. We rarely have perfect sources. Yeah. Well, at the same time, like, if you have an agent that actually has access to a lot of more information sources, like, it could actually look at the cameras in the Capitol or something and, like, analyze the image and see what's actually happening rather than relying on like a secondhand report yeah from someone else oh yeah because like the new york times months after it happened published like a collection of videos from people's phones taken at the capitol Mm -hmm. and it would be crazy interesting if those like live streams if they existed were actually processed by a model like in almost real time and it could be like so i watched you know a hundred thousand hours of footage from the last five minutes and here's what i found (laughs) yeah Exactly. So so maybe this this goes to like the the scariest part, the centralization decentralization thing. So you're a very big decentralized guy, right? Yeah. But it's yeah. I think there's there's this scary prospect of like let's imagine like right now OpenAI wants you to eat your vegetables, right? Like it's hugely criticized by like open source folks and Reddit type people, but they're basically like you're going to eat your vegetables and we're going to take it to like an extreme. So for example, if you right now GPT-4 uh, Vision in their, in their model card paper, 
uh, you can see they talk about like one thing you're not allowed to ask is about inferences about faces. So I can't take a picture of you right now and say, given this photo of Guy, what kind of mood do you think he's in? And it's because the model's too scared that it's going to be biased. It probably would be racist, right? Like it would be realistically. So they're like, we're just not going to let it output anything like that. But the point is that they put all these safeguards because they want the model to be useful. And it also will say a lot of comments that are like very, very inclusive. There's like the classic, like you asked GPT for what will be the religion of the first Jewish president. And then it says like, it's not important what someone's religion is when they're running for office. And then you're like, oh my God, you know. But anyway, (laughs) at least the benefit of the eat your vegetables world might be that the model actually biases towards whatever is like good things, right? So, you know, like I, perhaps the anti-Facebook world and Facebook's world, Facebook didn't try to make it your vegetables. They just want engagement. Maybe ChatGPT is at least trying this more positive quote unquote point of view of like, you should see multiple perspectives. And so I'm going to go out of my way to give you, you know, better content. And, you know, in the most optimistic world, you know, their incentives are actually aligned. They do a great job. It's obviously... The fact that we have to now trust this centralized authority that's not the government, duh. But, you know, is there is there a potential for upside that basically just they take the opposite approach to Facebook rather than focusing on engagement, they focus on what they consider good and ultimately maybe do a better job? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear the argument. Um, if you assume that everything goes perfectly, right, <laughs> it's still an incredibly hard job to even define what good is, right? Like from their perspective, they're trying to be balanced and everything, but then, like, it just takes as far as going to another country, right, with, like, stricter laws and something you don't agree with. Oh, yeah. And then everything goes out the window. So, I don't know. Like, I think a more reasonable approach is that if you had your own personal AI, right, like, that knows what your values are. So, it might give those, for instance, like, if you're, like, a very tolerant person, it wouldn't matter if the AI messed up or, like, said something wrong because you would know. Like, it would read the output or, or somehow interpret it and say, like, oh, the AI messed up here. Like, I, I don't believe this. Like, or, or, like, there's something wrong here, right? At the same time, if you're maybe dealing with, like, a child or someone that doesn't have, like, just takes things for granted, right, then you might want to be more careful and perhaps even abstain from answering more questions. Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with someone that's very sensitive to a topic, uh, uh, you might even abstain there as well. Got it, because you might want to be careful not to give graphical details about what's happening to, especially when it comes to children. Yeah, you, You're saying like there isn't a one-size-fits-all yeah. way that you should be generating content, so it wouldn't make any sense to try. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's more reasonable to assume that you would have personalized AIs. And they might be just variations of GPT-4, all controlled by OpenAI, I don't know. Which is what GPT-4 is doing now, right? G- GPT-4 is giving user prompts to let you like steer the model in your direction. But I, I think, you know, like, do we, we're currently seeing like a bunch of monopoly lawsuits in the US. Mm-hmm. Is OpenAI becoming like very, very quickly becoming like a non-governmental organization that has such control over our thoughts. And if they are, you know, are we, we're almost certainly regardless going to see the Chinese government do this, right? Like just decide like that, you know, you ask a question, obviously they're going to control which models you use. Obviously they're going to want them to be ones that spit out state propaganda. Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. But in the US, I, I think like... No, I do hope they don't become like a monopoly in, in that way. I do hope like there are at least competitors or like open source alternatives that you can use. I don't mind them being like very good or even the best uh, as long as you have alternatives as well. So yeah. So funny that really we're going back to these very like fundamental free speech things where, you know, between these worlds, we have like the dictatorship kind of world of like we have one amazing leader, open AI, that's going to like just do such a good job and it's going to help people and they're going to be better and they're going to be like more tolerant because it gives great outputs. But the flip side is like, even if one country or one model or one company gets this right, chances are other 
definitely some will get it wrong, which means that like for all the benefits of whichever company does such a good job, there's going to be the downsides of every country that doesn't do a good job here, basically. Or we end up with a totally decentralized world, in which case we probably have more and more polarization, realistically, and and perhaps, you know, more you know, other problems around disinformation because those other models are trying to make you happy. And so they interpret the data in such a way that makes you happy. But if you have control over these models, right? Like let's say it's like a custom thing that runs on your computer locally, right? Or, or something like that. Yeah. You would be able to try at least or like the open source community or someone might have a chance of implementing something that's like trying to reduce extreme extremism, trying to reduce bias in like the obvious ways. And it would be less of this polarizing world or like highly segregated bubbles world, I feel like, versus just like letting a single company like control all of that. Uh, I feel like it's almost as if we're discussing like democracy versus other systems. <laughs> it's like I, we, we sort of are, but at the same time, we're also talking about polarization. You know, like that the world you're talking about is one where polarization increases, right? Yeah, yeah, at least currently, right? But if, what, what if it's like you're reading a Facebook post that is incredibly polarizing? You wouldn't ne- necessarily think that. But then, like your custom AI will just tell you, like, oh, like this, this seems extreme. Like, have you like look at this other point of view? Or, like these points are like exaggerated or something like that, right? Or the eat your vegetables. I mean, Twitter's doing that, right? Like Twitter just introduced their like community notes or something where you can like see a post and they'll be like, just so you know, this wasn't true. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you if you talk about democratization, I think democratization is a weird analogy here because in democracies you take the average vote across a lot of people. So if you have a lot of liberals and a lot of conservatives and they're 50-50 split, you end up with some sort of compromise in the middle, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. In this case, we're not really talking about that because it's so individual, right? It's like, what does Guy individually see? Yeah. But it allows you to have your own opinions, right? Like, so if you're making decisions and like actions in the world, you're allowed to have your own opinions, even though like it might not be true that what you want will happen, right? So that, that's the democratic view. Uh, and in the AI world, do you think that public schools should? Uh, do you think public schools should teach intelligent design alongside evolution? Intelligent design, as in God created the world in seven days. Oh yeah, no, well, okay, fair. I know I don't think that, by the way, but uh, fair. That's a good point. Uh, I think that's that's probably the better analogy because, like, the the democracy point of view here can either be mm-hmm. think as a society about what's right and teach that to all the kids, or it's like every parent should be entitled to teach their child whatever they want. You know. No one's entitled, you know, every, everyone's entitled to their own truth and their own reality. <laughs> so maybe you need like a, like an age of consent before you use AI assistance. Like uh, in order to, for you to have your own personal AI, you need like 18 year old. Now you're able to do, take your own choices. And before that, uh, it could be your parents. It also does mean that like the responsibility of these providers does look a whole lot like governmental. And I do I do have to imagine that we're going to need some sort of like new constitution basically on how to handle free speech in the age of AI. We, we already needed this in the age of social media. Like social media, you know, was a peek into the future of seeing like what happens when you have an, or, an agency organization like Facebook that has massively more control over how people think than we give credit for. There's no way that a government could just give up that responsibility. And I think AI is just taking that to like the next level. Yeah, interesting. I guess like if we just like go back to the ground a little, like what does it mean in practice, right? Like what is actually going to happen to people like if they have their own like llama servers running stuff versus using ChatGPT? So like instead of saying eat vegetables, they just see like, oh, eat candy. And that's, I don't know, bad probably, but uh, would that be okay? I don't know. Well, not actually. I mean, to be honest, let's take the actual example of like eat candy. I mean, like diets are, are like an obvious yeah. one, right? So like what is a healthy diet? Yeah. 
you know, at some point we're going to rely on AI to help us figure out the answer to that question. Yeah. Some answers are correct and others are not, right? Yeah. Or, well, at least in our current understanding, right? Like if you ask someone, is egg good or bad for you? Like depending on when they were born or like what the current scientific understanding is, like this will change. Which I guess is fine. Like we don't assume... I would, that- I would hope that we move towards... I wonder, this is a good example in the freedom of speech debate. So in a past world, you would go for freedom of speech. You'd say everyone's entitled to share their own opinion. And we as a society will therefore come to the right conclusions because there will be a correct conclusion. It's not to say that all opinions are correct. They're not. But the best way to get to the truth is to allow diversity because one person will make the case strongly for yes and another will make the case strongly for no. Problem is, if both those people are a single agent and you go to an agent and say, make the case for yes, make the case for no and come to conclusions, we've totally left the original realm where free speech was valuable towards figuring out the right answers. Because now yeah. free speech of humans doesn't really contribute when when humans can't read through every single academic article. But AI can. You can literally have an agent that goes and spends some time reading through every academic paper and it won't come up with like a clear-cut solution. Almost always it'll be on the fence. It'll be like, here are the arguments for and against. But that will still be the correct answer, right? The correct answer will still be yeah. there's arguments for both sides. I can't definitively tell you. And if someone did tell you definitively, they'd be wrong. You know? Yeah. I think that's a good point. Like now you, it's, it's again, like the matter of scale, right? Like if, if you're able to actually go to the sources rather than rely on pre-compiled information, then that changes things a lot. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. So in that scenario, would every agent reach the same conclusion if they have access to the same material, like the same input material? I would imagine you would conceptualize an agent as, you know, take open AI, like if you were the New York Times doing this research with an agent, you would send the agent to do the report a hundred times, right? Yeah. But like, I guess like what my, the question is like, is there like a single truth that is findable, right? Because if there is, then you're right. Like the agent changes everything. But if there isn't, like if it's still limited somehow, which I think it is just intuitively, <laughs> then I think you would still benefit from having multiple agents and multiple opinions, right? Yeah. I think we should probably bring this conversation to a close, but I think we've we've left with a ton of topics for another day. And I think one of the big ones is, yeah, how does science change, right? Like right now, mm-hmm. the way that we learn is through this like multi-agent, multi-human agent thing. What happens when we actually can produce scientific agents? And I do wonder, all these questions you're asking are, are really legit and important questions, right? Are Will there be a sense that there is like real truth and it's just that humans can't, like we're just not smart enough to get there? Will it be that, you know, questions start to have answers, even if those answers are on the fence, but like one consensus on the fence answer, if that makes sense? Right. Yeah. I have a feeling the answer is yes. I have a feeling that you can concentrate all the world's knowledge Mm -hmm. and uh, take a given question like aspartame is in Coke. Is it safe? (laughs) You know, and maybe the answer is like, here's the arguments for, here are the arguments against, here's the evidence. These are the studies that are not yet done. Maybe you then perform those studies and get the answer. But there is going to be one consensus answer. I don't think that it's a matter of, like, depends who you ask. Like, I think it'll be interesting to see the nature of truth itself change if agents just so surpass humans on these tasks. So I guess we started by talking in the pessimistic way about the content apocalypse, what happens if we give up too early. And I think it's funny because what we're ending on is, what if we don't end too early, right? What happens if we do give agents the opportunity to proceed past that boring point where it just gives, like, the argument for or the argument against, and it's a little bit bullshit, and it's a little bit shallow? What if we actually get to the point where the content really does supersede humans? And I think that's, uh, yeah, I guess that that is the optimistic angle here. What if instead of the content apocalypse, we just generate so much better content in some domains, especially really valuable domains, especially in science, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, we get to not talk about the apocalypse and instead talk about 
Utopia. Utopia. Boring Utopia. <laughs> Boring Utopia. I love it. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show, Guy. Until next time. That's a wrap for today. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're an ML enthusiast, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or at hello at slingshot.xyz. We'll be back with more next week.